0: You are listening to the Sound of the Foghorn podcast presented by Around the Foghorn, your home for San Francisco Giants baseball on the fan-sided network. Afternoon. Oh man, it's good to be back Again, if you are listening for the first time My name is Daniel Sperry I'm a co-host Or, well, host, co-host, same thing um, I got, uh, tonight I'm going to be joined by My fantastic assistant, Taylor Corbin Taylor, how are you doing tonight? Hey there, Taylor. Let's see. May not be hooked up at the time. Anyways, so our episode tonight, we got a lot to talk about. It's been a while. Again, I keep I say this all the time. It's been a while. Um. Wow, I can't believe I, I can't believe I called this episode five. I believe this is episode six, but. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about just what the heck has been happening in 2017. I wrote an article at the beginning of the week just kind of coming to grips with who these Giants are. We're going to kind of rehash some of that. And then Taylor is quite the draft guy, quite the prospect guy. I'm not. I trust Taylor. Um, In his analysis, we had some great talks within our writer chat. And Taylor has a lot of insight on some of these draft Mm -hmm. picks. So we're going to talk about them. We're also going to talk about what's been going on in the minor leagues, and then we're going to break into a little fun game on trade talks. Yeah, we're going to talk some trades. And we're going to talk, we're going to talk potential players for the Giants that are to be traded, what are they worth, all that kind of stuff. We're going to take a quick break here, like couple seconds here get taylor corbin worked into this and we will get started so stay tight sorry guys thought it was going to be a little bit shorter than that but had a few configuration things to work out but we're back giants won tonight by the way hopefully you're listening to this because of that or maybe just because you want to listen to me or taylor anyways um Giants won. Good things. 6-3 um, to three was the win. Taylor, how are you feeling about the win? And also, welcome to the show, finally.
1: Thank you very much. Feels great to be here. Uh, first of all, the win feels great, obviously. Ends um, a seven-game losing streak. Um, gets us to nine games below 500 again. So, you know, it's always good to get a win. Um, and it's also good to, you know, see the bullpen kind of bounce back from last night's um, you know, explosion, so that that's always good.
0: Yeah, and Mark Melanson got a save. Like that that's this is prime this is prime uncharted territory. Three run homer, I know. Mark Melanson save, dude. It's,
1: what's happening? This is like two rares in one night. Like I feel like we're outdoing ourselves a little bit, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, I know. I I joke in our in our article that I did today, some of the fan questions was the joke was are we ever gonna get um in okay, and can't Michael Saltzman, one of our hosts, many times on the show, also texts me and goes, "Melanson with three up, three down," which is so rare. So that's like three. Things. <laughs> Anyways, I was saying like I was saying on the in, in an article that I wrote today is a fan, we did the fan question things, and someone came in and they asked like, "Oh, are the Giants ever going to put together another winning streak?" And I tried to give them solace by saying that like some of the worst teams in baseball history, like the 2011 and 2012 Astros had multiple four and five game winning streaks throughout their season. So we yeah. could see one and still be that terrible.
1: Absolutely. We could. I mean, if that's, I mean, if just a winning streak of four or five games is what saves fan seasons, I mean, all right, go for it. You got to find a silver lining somewhere, I guess, you know?
0: <laughs> right. All right. So, I mean, just jumping into what the heck has been going on this year. I mean, uh, what I,
1: more like what hasn't been going on.
0: <laughs> what hasn't been going on has been offense. And, yes, I think definitely. It, and I think that's been a, a big thing. We, we look at some of the injuries have come up to some key offensive pieces. You know, Madison, Madison Bumgarner is a huge bat in the lineup every fifth day. You know, yeah. So, no, but like, for real. Every
1: fifth day hurt.
0: Yeah, I know. For real, though, there's been a ton of injuries on this team. And I think that's something we can chalk up some of this because there's been so much inconsistency. Uh,
1: am I Am I right on that idea, Taylor, or – yeah, yeah, you definitely are, and um, I mean, it, it. And doesn't it seem like when injuries happen, it's just like a rainstorm? They just happen one after another, after another, after another. The good thing I will say though is that the Giants haven't been berated by all the injuries at once. They've kind of been happening one after another. Somebody will come off the DL. Somebody will go back on the DL. But you think mm-hmm. with the the loaded talent that they have, and the core that they've uh, that they've locked up through their contracts and everything you expect those guys to be able to carry the load. And throughout yeah. the years, I mean, you look at the Giants' farm system, and they're not the, you know, the highest-rated prospects or anything. But a lot of these guys are grinders who are just looking for an opportunity. So, you know, mm-hmm. you slot them in there, and then they would always come up big. And you look at this year, and it's not really happening. You know, you got your core guys um, batting, you know, in the low 200. It's Brandon Belt's batting 220. Joe Panik's been playing a little bit better the last few weeks. He's up to 270, but even before that, he was still in the 240s. Um, the power's yeah. gone, and my question is: I just, I don't think it's so much of a drop off in talent offensively, as I think it is just a mindset adjust. Because I mean, you look at the whole team collectively, talent doesn't drop off like that overnight. And I'll I'll right. even throw in another team with bigger power, you know, in their core, the Baltimore Orioles. You look at their two through five guys uh Trumbo, Adam Jones, uh Chris Davis, those guys aren't getting it done either and historically they have. So I mean you kinda just gotta look at a mindset and um I don't know. It, I mean it starts with them. Bruce Bosch you said it best, you know, they're men. They know how to handle yep. themselves.
0: Right. And I think something to to look at this I think for me, um one of the biggest things for me in looking at this is that these these offensive numbers, while they are down, I mean I'm I'm looking I pulled up the twenty sixteen numbers. You look at some of these core guys, there was some there's a decent amount of injuries uh throughout yeah. the season last year too. Um so we're looking at a hunter pence, two eighty nine, Posey, two eighty eight, Pagan in there at two seventy seven, belt was two seventy five, Crawford two seventy five, Denard Span two sixty six, Joe Panic was the worst at two thirty nine. Um yeah. and, and so but even then the, the run production wasn't there, wasn't there much. Um no. we're getting on base more, which helps the run production. But the big thing for me in looking at all of this has been the pitching staff. Um, it, you, and I'll read, this is the ERA from the five, even, I mean, you can even go to Albert Suarez. I mean, the, the, there was only two players with the ERA in, in the fives, one in a the four they Had three guys within ERA under four, which control for a team that doesn't score runs and a team that the, the pitching staff has to be better. And the, the the fact that the Giants aren't scoring as many runs as they did last year, and the pitching staff has been even worse. That's where you that that's your recipe for what's been going on this year.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. The pitching staff hasn't necessarily made it that much easier on the team either. I mean, you look at Matt Moore and and his ERA this season. I mean, you got Matt Moore. He's a what has he got like a five ERA now? Almost almost he, you know almost approaching six. Like
0: he was at six before tonight started, yeah, and it's dipped okay. down under
1: six. Okay, cool. So, yeah, you got Matt Moore with that. I mean, Madison Bumgarner, obviously losing him, you know, I mean, you can't replace Madison Bumgarner and especially just what he brings to the presence on the mound. You know, that, that presence of, you know, whether you're in a losing streak or not, every fifth day that guy goes out, you take the field thinking, all right, we have a chance to win today. We're going to win today, you know? Like, that's yeah. just his mentality. That's what he does. But you look at even Ty Block, you know, his step-in that's filled in, he's done pretty well himself. So, yeah. it's like... You know, imagine if Bumgarner – you know, Bumgarner lost, what, his first four starts of the year as well. So even mm-hmm. when they had him, the team still wasn't performing. And I don't put it too much on the pitching staff. Definitely they have gone through their streaks where they've given up a lot of runs, a lot of home runs this year. Their home run rate is up as well. Mm-hmm. But they have had some stretches too where they have done plenty to keep the team in, in the ball game. I mean, how many how many games have we seen lost this year? 2 nothing, 2-1. Three yeah. one, you know, and Boshi's even said, you know, we can't just keep throwing guys out there and expecting them. Okay, guys, you know, you give up any more than two runs and we're kind of screwed. You know, like that's kind of the feeling in the clubhouse right now.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think, and you're right about that. And I'm, and I wasn't meaning to put all of this on pitch the pitching staff either. I was just no, saying that the, no. the Giants with the Giants have as little room have, have as little margin of error between the pitching and the, the offense as any team does in this league because of the way that they score runs. They're not the power hitting team. You know, they're not a slugging team. They're not a Kansas yeah. city Royals team that slugs a ton of home runs. They're Not a Chicago Cubs that slug a ton of home runs, uh, you know, because the, frankly the Cubs could, the Cubs with this Giants pitching staff could probably be close to 500. Really. Agreed. I mean, yeah. with, with where they're at because they can score enough runs. Uh, the Giants aren't scoring enough runs, which I think the discre- and that discrepancy there between the pitching staff having a downturn and the offense having a downturn all in the same time, I mean, we're, you're, you're seeing how, how fine of a line that was for the Giants over the last few years, and it's now resulted in this, this miserable start to the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and here's the thing, too. If you look at the Giants' philosophy of how they draft and how they develop and the types of players they want, they want high average. They're willing to sacrifice a little on the power for high average contact guys who will just keep the line moving. That philosophy is great, but when you have a collection of guys and you draft for that, and, and when it doesn't work out, you're seeing the results of it right now. If they're yeah. not living up to their ultimate potential of just high contact, minimal power guys to average power guys, you're going to yeah. get exactly what you're getting right now. A bunch of guys who can't move the line, because think about it, the score runs. The Giants rely on a lot of single double sacrifice flies, you know, bunt the yep. guy over that requires five, you know, three to five batters essentially just to score a run or two. If you're not hitting at a high average, your blueprint fails. So, mm-hmm. and then they become, and then what you're seeing now is the type of players that scouts actually projected them to be. Yeah. You're going to, yeah. you know, you're going to hit around 240. You're going to have a little bit minimal power, minimal impact, great defense, great hustle, mm-hmm. um, you know, grinders, as you'd say, but, they're pretty much playing this season to what all of them projected to. You look at Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, uh, even Joe Panic. Joe Panic was the highest rated prospect out of all of them. And he wasn't even, you know, a top rated prospect um, internationally or on baseball America or any type of scouting yeah. system, you know? Right. All right. So, and
0: I think, uh, I'm just going to throw this in here too, is another thing that's been a theory of mine is that the fact that they're just getting older. I mean, you yeah, look at definitely. some of the injuries, Um, they're getting older. Hunter Pence is thirty four. Denard span is thirty three. Uh Buster Posey, fine, he's thirty. He's still Buster Posey and he's having one of the best (laughs) scenes of his career. I'm not gonna worry about that one. So Panic is twenty six, kinda concerning. But then you look at guys like Crawford, Brandon Belt. Okay, and my point with this is is that we paid I feel like with some guys, especially like Brandon Belt, the Giants paid him thinking that he was going to get even better, but they paid him when he was twenty seven, which is at the It's pretty much at the peak of his prime. He's probably not once once a player, any athlete, once a player hits the age of 20, between 25 and 27, any athlete that the peak level that they are performing at 25 and 27 is likely the best that they will ever be. And yeah. we're seeing a lot of that. And the Brandon Belt, what we saw out of him between 2013 and last year is the best that, – that's the best Brandon Belt is going to be. He's Now he's having a down year, but we're paying for a belt that we thought was going to be better than the best he was possibly going to be. Yeah. And
1: so and I think, you're, and you're, yeah, Go for it. And you're kind of paying for, like – I feel, too, the Giants, they do reward their players for past performances, too. You look at Tim mm-hmm. Winscombe and, and the decline of his career a two year, what was it like a, like a $35 million contract. And everyone's like, what, why, you know? But you you look at these players in their past history and I do think, you know, just going back to what we were talking about with their prospect rankings coming up, I do think those guys, you know, carried that chip on their shoulder, you know, that that they weren't, you know, highly looked at, you know, Mm -hmm. that they won a world series in 2010 and, you know, you go on and and watch TV and they're still not being talked about, you know? So you do that. You fight so long, you get your big contract. And this is, I'm going to touch a little more on the human aspect now. A lot of these mm-hmm. guys came up at the same time. And yeah. a lot of these guys got signed, you know, their, their core contracts around the same time. Crawford, Belt, all that. When you drown in so much success early in your career, it's like you don't have that, that necessary, necessarily like that hunger of like a team that might be together like four to eight years and hasn't won right. and gets to that point and they want to win. When you drown in that much success from your rookie year to like the beginning of your career, I mean, it can be a little overwhelming. You know, it's hard to bring that much energy, that much hunger, especially when you've done it time and time again, back to the field. And then you have a bunch of guys, like I say, Crawford and Bellet, especially, and they are great players, by the way, great players, but you get your, you know, your, your big reward contract, you know, you get your no trade, you get your security with the team. Um a lot of these guys, too, you know, and maybe a little complacency, you know, sets in. You look at the team. A lot of the guys, you know, like I said, the human aspect comes into it. A lot of the guys on the team getting married in the offseason, having kids. You know, maybe your mind's not on baseball 100% like it was during, you know, those World Series runs. That's fine, you know. Maybe Brandon Crawford might come to the field one day and, um, you know, little Braxton might have like a – might have like, a, you know, he might have fell off his bike or something and he's really hurt. You know, you never, you never know. What these guys right. mind and drawn, and that's why I say I don't think it's so much of a talent miss as much it is just you know the mental aspect of the game for these guys.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. All right, so I want to kind of move on. Um, actually, I wanted to put this in. We're going to take a tiny quick break again. Again, this one will not be as long as the last one. I promise. If you guys are still listening in, um, well, and then we're going to jump into some of the draft talk. Uh, Helio Ramos was the top pick. Uh, kind of confused some people up there. Still a whole lot of upside still, but then there's still that fact that they feel that people overdrafted. We're going to discuss that as we come up. Stay tuned, and again, thanks for listening to Sound the Foghorn. We are back. Daniel Sperry here, joined by Taylor. Corbin.
1: Taylor, yep, yep. how are you doing? I'm All okay. Right. I'm ready to talk some prospects. I'm ready to talk about the future. It's looking good. Yeah, I know. I'm quite ready
0: to <laughs> talk this, too. Um, all right, so we're going to jump into this. Overall, Giants had the 19th pick. Um, some of the most notable 19th picks in the last few years have been guys like Michael Waka, a whole lot of college arms. Um, the Giants went the high school outfielder route uh, with Helio Ramos out of Puerto Rico, the center fielder, um, a very, very toolsy guy has been described. He's really, really young. I believe he was one of the only ones with a 1999 birth date. Um, in the draft, uh, so he's still only 17. But he's six one, 188 pounds. Uh, a lot of it's muscle.
1: Um, yeah, and this kid is people... a sneaky. 185, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, overall, I mean, just what are your thoughts on it? I and I, I like, I really like analyzing them once they get into the farm system. But I'm not a big high school college guy, um, and I know you are. So, I mean, overall, your thoughts just on what is it too big of a leap or is it, you know, is he kind of one of those that maybe could have been a first round guy? I mean, what, what goes into this pick for the
1: giants? You know what, exactly what you said, you know, I'm going to go back to that question. Was it too big of a reach for this guy? Honestly, in my opinion, it might've been, but I mean, the giants are just notorious for saying, screw it. Everyone thinks we're going to do what we want. We're going to shock everyone with every pick and they definitely kept, their, you know, kept to, their, to their pass with this one. So with Heli Ramirez, he is definitely one of the most intriguing prospects. The first thing you, know, you notice about him is just the physical stature of this guy. Like you said, 6'1", six, six, one, 188. But when you look mm-hmm. at him, he looks easily like he, he carries 210 pounds on his frame. So mm-hmm. that's one thing that sticks out to me. Um, might be the best power prospect um, in, the, in the draft if it all pans out. Um, the best thing I noticed about him right off the bat, just watching some of his uh, his tapes in the batting cage, very quick bat speed produces a hand and loud, hard and loud contact. Um, the best thing I like about that is he keeps very smooth mechanics through his swing
0: mm-hmm.
1: repeatedly. And one of the one of the one of the knocks that he has had is for being an over aggressive hitter, which for me I don't really mind as long as you're being productive with that. Now, right. here's the downside with that though. He can't hit a, a breaking pitch or a change up a curveball to really save his life. Now he's mm-hmm. seventeen. He's seventeen. And you look at the competition that he's facing, you know, I mean, no pitchers from his academy were taken within the first ten rounds. So mm-hmm. you look at you, you look at the the competition that he's facing over there and you think is the power and the skills gonna translate. But the good thing is he is young, he's seventeen, so he has plenty of time. Um I think he can be a 25 home run guy easily if he pans out, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, average is a concern to me because he's too aggressive at the plate. Um, He doesn't, he doesn't really have a feel for disciplining the strike zone. Another Mm -hmm. guy, you know, prospect that's kind of comparable to that, kind of having the same problem. Christian Arroyo kind of had a problem um, demonstrating discipline at the strike zone. You could pretty much just throw him a slider Mm -hmm. off the plate and and he'd swing through it. That's kind of the same with Ramos right now. Um, Defense. He has an average arm. He's got a short release, which limits his, you know, his full action. And in my opinion, if you're an outfielder, you really want to be able to kind of reach back and uh, get full extension on your throws. So, you know, you can add a couple miles hour to your throws, all that stuff, and for his speed. Now, a lot of scouts raved high on his speed, but I'm going to say his speed isn't as, as, is as elite as advertised, but it's still mm-hmm. quick enough to be noticed. Now, okay. we go back to the upside of him real quick. If it all projects out, this guy can seriously be like another UN assessment is with a little bit less, lesser of an arm, but he is going to be a huge project. This is going to be a project that, you know, you're looking at the window that the Giants have right now. Madison Bumgarner is still in his prime. You want to do everything you can to put a team around him, to let him take you into the postseason and get you another ring. He is the Mm -hmm. Joe Montana at baseball. He will do it. I guarantee it. (laughs) So mm-hmm. my thing is, it's going to be a four to six year project with this kid, mm-hmm. and to be okay. honest, it, it really is a coin flip. It really is a coin flip.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, some of the things you were talking about with the swing, I, I noticed in some of the videos I saw. He's just kind of felt like he has a really smooth swing. It looks natural. You know, some guy. I mean, as opposed to, as I guess he, uh, the far end. Opposite of natural is Hunter Pence's swing. It looks yeah. like really, really nice compared to Hunter Pence's swing. But no, I, I
1: like I, his hands. He throws his hands at the ball very quick. I mean, he probably has, out of any video I watched out of players, he probably has the fastest hands, um, to the ball. You know, w- with the bat, out of anyone I saw, he has really fast hands. So that's good for him. Uh, the barrel gets through, gets through the zone very quick. That's why he has a lot of loud contact. So I'm excited. But like I said, I mean you really don't know what you're going to get because the competition he's facing out there and that he's been accustomed mm-hmm. to his whole life. It's not the competition you're facing out here with our college kids, you know? So, yeah. We'll and
0: I, and, and my, I guess another question, do, just do you think the fact that, that he's tw- that he's only 17 and he's, you know, he's, he's super young and he's going to jump into this and have, he still has a lot of time to learn. Oh yeah. Definitely. Um, do you, do you think that, I mean, is it because of the fact that he's such a prospect, I guess my thing is if he pans out to being amazing down the road, I mean, are we, does it matter how much of a project he was? And I get we're trying, I get the window, but at the same time, I think a a part of me just sees there's a lot of potential and a lot of promise in this kid. And I understand why the giants would want to jump up because there's, you know, they, he was put at 40. Um, If the giants are going to jump up for him, I I assumed other teams were probably going to jump up that had picks kind of in that background or between the, uh, between the end of the first round and the start getting into the beginning of the second round. Uh, You know, he, he may not have been there at 58 and if the giants really felt like this was a guy that they just couldn't miss, I get that. But I mean, jumping into some of their other picks, what they did at 58, Jacob Gonzalez, son of Luis Gonzalez, who's six-four-two-zero-six. Holy cow. He's so much bigger than me. I am. I'm a small person. He's, I'm, that, that's a huge dude. Uh, just I, this was another pick. And I think that a lot of people and especially within our own group chat of writers, we were, we really liked this Jacob Gonzalez pick. What is it about Jacob Gonzalez that just that stands
1: out? Well, you know what? And the first thing that stands out to me is Obviously, he's a big dude, 6'4", 205. I mean, this kid has already, you know, at 18, the body type of Nolan Arenado, huge physical tools. He's going to outgrow his father easily. Um, he spent three years on varsity, was one of the best players, um, one of the most hi- highly touted prospects in, uh, in Arizona. And in three years in varsity, he batted 429, 19 home runs, 118 RBIs, and had a 543 on base percentage. Um, just like Ramos, um, You know, this guy has very quick hands, um, barrel speed, but he, I would say this, he definitely has the most raw power available in high school. I mean, I was watching some of this guy's batting practice videos. This guy's, this guy's launching like 470 foot home runs in high school. (laughs) Like this guy, raw power. Yeah. And then you look at his, but you look at his stats, you know, his home runs are pretty scattered, pretty consistent, had seven in his last year. So you're thinking, hmm, that is kind of sneaky power. Well, it is, you know, and you can't – here's the thing, too. You really can't ignore the gene pool of where right. he came from. His father's Luis <laughs> okay. Gonzalez. So, yeah. So, I think he's, I think he's had, a, you know, his fair share of good lessons on the way up. Now, looking at, his, looking at his other tools, though, he does have, you know, average to below average speed. The arm strength could get a little better, but I don't really knock him because he spent, you know, part of the season playing first base. So, you didn't really need to, you know, consistently take grounders at third throwing all the way across the diamond, but I, I think it's something he can easily, you know, get, get over. And the other thing too, he's very, very, very competitive. And also he's a clubhouse presence. And high school guys, what sounds out to me is when you have coaches, players, and scouts marveling at their leadership in the clubhouse. Because for young guys, that doesn't happen very easily, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's a big thing for me.
0: Yeah, there's one thing that I was looking at in a scouting report um, on MLB Pipeline. Uh, com. and just talks about the fact that um, the, his arm, the arm action is kind of weird. it says, says that plus a fringy glove likely moves him to first base in the future. Are you, I mean, do you agree with that? Do you think first base is an option for him if he doesn't, you know, let's say, let's say the bat's there, but the fielding at third really isn't, you know, is it one of those to say to fast track him, you know, they stick him over at first?
1: Well, sure, yeah, you you could do that. Um, the only problem would be obviously belts occupying that spot right now, but mm-hmm. with with how young he is, because you know he's still coming out of high school, he just turned mm-hmm. eighteen. Yeah, I I definitely say he probably has around three to four years uh, to go till he's big league ready, mm-hmm. but I definitely think he's one of the one of the few high school players that can make it up the fastest. So I mean, in that situation, you know, like you said, at the bat plays. You know, Belt's going to be a lot older. What do you do? Do you maybe move Belt to the outfield? If the outfield situation still isn't handled, do you trade Belt? Mm -hmm. Um, And then what happens with your other prospects coming up? Because they have another guy uh, in the minors, uh, the best hitting prospect, Chris Shaw. He's a first baseman slash outfielder. So it's going to be really interesting to see where the Giants um, fit all these pretty interesting pieces that are kind of, you know, filtering through the farm right now.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. All right. So I kind of want to move into some of these later. We've, we've gone over the first two picks. Um, they did have one more inside the top 200, which was Seth Corey, um, a left-handed high school left-hander out of uh, Utah. I will say it's kind of dumb. MLB.com has him out of Kansas, uh, and that is not correct. So don't believe them. Um, Lone Peak High School. Fake news. Or is fake is, news. Utah. <laughs> uh, yeah, fake news. MLB.com. <laughs> <laughs> found you out uh, I think so I mean just looking at this they, they did take ended up taking a lot of pitchers but it is a decent mix of outfield or at least field players and pitchers if what's who is the most exciting pitching prospect that they drafted for you uh, I know you had one late round pick that you really liked and I want to save that for your late round stash okay. um, but outside of outside of him who's another pitcher that we're sitting here looking at and they're like hey that's a really good pickup
1: okay there was this there's this one guy that goes to cal state fullerton by the name of john gavin mm-hmm. and this guy is 6'6 250 pounds and an absolute monster now you're going to look at his frame and his body and think all right this guy's going to come in and throw 105 and just strike everyone out no this guy honestly if i had to make a perfect comparison he would mm-hmm. kind of be like the taller, bigger, more intimidating-looking version of Ty Block because they, <laughs> they pitch very similar, okay? Um, this season, he went 7-3 and three with a 3.66 ERA and had 67 strikeouts and 87 innings pitched. The thing that I like about him the most is every year since he's gotten out of high school, his velocity has increased about a mile to a mile and a half per hour. When he left high school, okay. he was only throwing about 89, and scouts have him – sitting around 90 miles an hour to 91. But I've seen him touch 93 and 94 and actually sit at 93 this season. So I know, okay. I know the arm's there. I know he adjusted his arm slot, which makes me really excited. Um, he has a long body and a windup, which helps him add depth to his pitches. He throws across his body kind of like Bumgarner. Um, and another thing I like about him, I mean, like I said, he doesn't have the best strikeout stuff, but this mm-hmm. guy's mentality – he is an absolute bulldog on the mound. And that's what I'm saying. The Giants love drafting these types of players who are grinders, bulldogs who, who get the job done. And another thing, this is this is probably maybe why it's a cool story to me too. This kid grew up a San Francisco Giants fan, grew up in the Bay yeah, Area. I was did his see dream that to, yeah, was, was his dream to become a giant. And uh, I, I've had my eye on him since, you know, he's been playing at Cal State Fullerton. Um, it's 30 minutes up the street from me, so I always follow the team. One of my best mm-hmm. friends just graduated from there too, so you know I, I got to see him pitch every now and then. Um, he didn't have the best game on Saturday in the College World Series, mm-hmm. um, but he battled, only gave up two runs, walked four, you know. But that's a, that's what I'm saying. On days where he doesn't have his best stuff, he's gonna go out there and, and compete and give you your best shot to win. So.
0: All right, so we got, a, we got our, one of our better pitching prospects in there, and John Gavin. Uh, who's the outside – okay, then outside of the other two that we've already discussed, um, unless you were just so excited about Jacob Gonzalez, who's the most exciting field player that the Giants drafted out of this?
1: The most exciting what?
0: Most exciting sorry, field.
1: Didn't hear you. field player, sorry. Most exciting field player. <laughs> to be honest, I like Bryce John, I like Bryce Johnson – out of a Sam Houston state center okay. fielder. Um, I was, I was a little surprised to be honest that the giants didn't go a little heavier in maybe the third, fourth and fifth rounds on the outfielders. I thought there were a couple of good ones that they passed up on, but they're going to stay to their philosophy, pitching, pitching, pitching. So that's fine. But the thing that I liked a lot about Bryce Johnson, like I said, six, six, two hundred eighty pounds, big physical tools. Um, he's going to hit for average. Um, Power, I honestly don't know how, how his power is going to play, though. Um, he, has de- he has deceptive power. I'll mm-hmm. put it – I just – I like the pick, but I, in, those, in those rounds, I, I would have gone with a – I would have gone a different route, let's put it that way. But I think he, mm-hmm. I think he can pan out. Um, he'll probably be a good fourth outfield option, maybe service off the bench. I just – I don't know if he's going to be able to contribute every day. At, at the big league level, yeah. and especially for a contender. But he'd be a good trade piece, too, maybe in the future.
0: So, Yeah, for sure. I think one thing that stands out to me is that is well, okay, it, I love grades, the scouting grades here. And I'm looking at MLB has them, his hitting grade is a 50. His running is a 60. His arm is a 50, and his fielding is a 60. Uh, but his power is a 20, which leaves him at an overall yeah. 35, which I think, yeah. to me, just screams center fielder, leadoff hitter. Uh, yeah. Which could be, which I think at his peak, that's what what he would be. Um, which you kind of already, I feel like you're kind of already grooming someone like Brian Reynolds to do that in the future. Yeah. <laughs> um And so I exactly. I, I do think. I, and here's the thing: if the Giants have had so many leadoff issues ever since, I mean, since Angel Pagan in 2012. After that, after that 2012 season, Giants really haven't had a good, consistent leadoff hitter from game one to game 162. And yeah. Denard Span was not good last year. He was below no. average. And so I think for me looking at that, like I don't mind them trying to stock up on that. Because that's a rare thing to have someone who can get on base, has the speed, has the contact to get in and do stuff. Kind of a grinder guy, which is what he seems like to me. I don't yeah. mind the pick. I, and I do I do get what you're saying. They could have gone heavier in other places. i um, yeah. gone heavier in the earlier rounds, but I think you know, as you said, the Giants' philosophy is always going to be pitching, pitching, pitching because that is what them, that's what honestly is what won them three rings. It wasn't the fact that they blasted balls out of the park every single night, yeah, scored definitely. 10 runs, you know, won games 10 to 6 every night. No, it was because yeah. they were winning 4 to 1 ball games all season long. And when it came down to the postseason, and that's how you win ball games, the Giants knew what to do. So I'm okay with it. For me, at least, but I do. I just did really think it was really intriguing that he's got such high fielding and arm and running grades, but his power is not there. But his hitting's there yeah. as well, according to them. So I just think I just thought it was kind of funny to look at that, anyways. But
1: yeah, that's why I kind of had him as like you know a really good fourth outfield option off the bench. You're not going to get a lot of power, but you got a guy right. that you can you know fill in to give a guy a day off, and he's going to hit for average. He's going to have an, an amazing glove out there. You need to put Bochy loves to do this. You want to put a seventh inning defensive replacement in. You could put him in there. And speed that plays in you know triples alley gap you know yep. if you want to cut it, cut it off or whatever he's got a great glove so he could be like a maybe a younger Gregor Blanco you know for the future or something.
0: All right, so we've gone through a couple of those. The last one always is a late round gem, and you know we go through this every single year. Oh, where's the late yeah. round gem? <laughs> Where in this at all? Do you see any late round gems at all?
1: I I did, and one of the guys that um I was. I, later rounds, I look a lot at closers and relievers. That's that's my main thing as as the rounds go on because to be honest, like you see some of the relievers nowadays, you know, drafted in the 16th, 30th round, whatever. So this year in the 16th round, the Giants drafted somebody out of the ACC who went to UConn. His name is John Russell. This guy is six three, 182 pounds, and he has some of the filthiest stuff in the nation. Two hundred opponents only batted 202. Uh, average against him, he went 2-0 with a 2.88 ERA, and he struck out 66 batters in 42 and a third innings. And in the AAC, I mean, you know, Division One, top-ranked schools all around, the competition is very fluid. So he's going up against some of the top prospects in the game and mowing him down like it's nothing. I don't know how this guy stayed back into the 16th round, but from what I was seeing, some clubs are concerned that he's going to go back for his junior year to keep building his resume. But mm-hmm. my thing is, if you're going to stay a reliever, I mean, you look at the season and the stats he did, I mean, mm-hmm. what better could you do to really up your, you know, your status? So that was a main concern about clubs coming into, you know, around and reaching for him because there is concern that he won't sign. But, I mean, he's got a great fastball that plays in the high 90s, um, makes his pitches well, um, has a plus change up. Uh, his slider is really filthy, has a lot of quick break to it, and it dips down. Um, And he doesn't walk batters either, which is huge. His walk rate is very low. So, I mean, you look at that, the competition he played in, I mean, his strikeout numbers, and, I mean, um, this guy projected, you know, if he would have stayed back for another season, let's say he doesn't sign with the Giants, if he puts up the same numbers, he will be a top eight pick next year, I guarantee it, top eight rounds. So, yeah. Somebody's going to take him, he's going to be a closer.
0: All right, so some solid draft insight from Taylor here. Again, that is not the job that I look at. I always try and do this once they get into the organization. Um, For me, it's always easier. There's a lot less things to look at than everybody. Um, (laughs) But some people, man, really dive into it. I'm really thankful for guys like Taylor and, uh, of course, our own site's draft coverage. Uh, My co-expert, Jake Mastroianni, did a fantastic job outlining a lot of the picks available. And doing a whole lot of draft coverage for us, um, so shout out to him. Um, as we Thank you, Jake. Through, yeah, he did a solid job on a lot of those. Um, we and you know, as soon as they as these things go, we'll keep you updated on some of the signings. I do know for sure that the San Francisco Giants have signed Helio Ramos. They signed him to the max amount of money possible for that for that pick, that nineteenth overall pick. Um, they also got uh, Jacob Gonzalez signed. Um, and then just today i believe Seth Corey, Bryce Johnson and uh it was either Aaron Phillips i believe as well were all signed uh to they were all signed to their contracts um so it looks like some of these top these top picks that they've had are guys that are going to sign and hop in and uh stay the course with them which is which is good things cuz you know you'd hate i I mean, I get players wanting to do it, but it's also, as a team, you hate to, like, waste a draft pick on a guy that's not going to come and hang out with you guys <laughs>
1: or come and, come and work for, yeah, especially, come and work for yeah, you Especially guys. in the early rounds.
0: <laughs> right, especially in those early rounds. Really, those top ten round picks, you know, I think those are those are the guys that you're hoping all of them sign. Um, oh, my we're gosh. Gonna take,
1: could you imagine, real quick, could you imagine how this season would have just taken a turn for the worse if our first pick, Ramos, said, you know what? Thanks guys, but I'm gonna go to Florida Atlantic anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I was just sitting there and I was like,
0: gosh, they drafted high school they drafted a lot of high school guys in their first three picks. Like what happens if none of them sign? We're sc-. And
1: then he uh, goes to no. the Dodgers and balls out. <laughs> yeah, I know, right?
0: <laughs> Goodness <laughs> sakes. All right. So we are gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come talk some more minor leagues. Um this is my fun part is sitting here looking at how some of these minor leaguers are doing. Um, so we're going to talk these. Um, Taylor will always be with us for the rest for the show tonight. But like I said, take a quick break. Yeah, yeah. We'll be right back. And uh, again, thanks for listening. We are back. Ooh yeah. All right. So we talked a whole lot of draft stuff. Uh, now we're going to talk to the point that hopefully a lot of these guys um, will be in next year. We're going to discuss some of the minor league happenings. Just to let you know, almost all of the minor league teams are doing terrible this year. Um, in terms of wins and losses, so just <laughs> leave it at that. It's terrible, um, Danny. It's, it's pretty bad. Oh my word! <laughs> um, but there are again. I think biggest thing for me has always been, and I said I've said this before. The Giants love to sit there and say, "Oh yeah, you know, we really want their minor league teams to win because we want a winning culture instilled from when they're you know when they first come into the organization." Cool, great idea, hope it works. But really the only thing that minor leagues matter for is individual performance and player development. And that's pretty much all you have to look at it for. Um, you know, because the Giants, I mean, goodness sakes, there have been teams where you know, they, they win the minor league championships every single year, and they're they're terrible. You know, so... <laughs> That it's to me, I, I've never felt that that equated, um, because also the Fresno Grizzlies were terrible when all the Giants prospects were there. Yeah. And they <laughs> they never won anything, and then they all got to the big leagues and they won. You know, they won yeah. three rings in five years. So I'm <laughs> not, it, it just doesn't equate for me. And all that matters yeah. is the player development. So we're gonna go through. <laughs> and We're gonna look at them. I'm gonna let Taylor go first on this one. Um, yeah. Three players just to highlight. Um, I know I have more than three. If you have another one along through to go through, but go for it. But three players you want to highlight so far in the minor leagues that are tearing it up.
1: Okay. So I'm going to stay – I'm going to actually shy away from what everyone's thinking, which is the norm. Look, we all know Chris Shaw, you know, number one power prospect, you know, with us right now. But I'm going to try to highlight some of the other guys that maybe we're not hearing so much about right now. So Brian Reynolds was our first-round draft last year. And, um, well, actually, we dropped him in the second round, I'm sorry, but our first pick because we lost our pick due to signing Samarja. So, scouts, everyone pretty much agree that this kid was the steal of the draft. He was a projected late-round, late-round, first-round pick, and the Giants just had him fall into his lap. So, yeah, we'll take him. And we need the center fielder, too. So, of course, makes sense. 6'3", 205 pounds, great bat speed. He's a toolsy player as well. Um, the power hasn't translated yet to AAA, but I think he should be fine. This season, he's batting 295 uh, on base of 340, slugging 418, three home runs, 24 IBIs. Uh, he strikes out a lot, which is one of the things that I have a negative on him, but he is a high-contact player who can use all parts of the field, doesn't mind taking a pitch the other way and giving what the pitcher gives to him. He's not too pull-happy. That's good. Has pretty good speed. Um, if everything projects, I see him being a twelve to twenty home run guy, you know, maybe driving sixty to eighty. Um, another guy that I'm looking at, and speaking of power, the power, you know, outage that's been in San Francisco, there's a guy named Miguel Gomez who plays third base and he has really sneaky power. I mean, you look at this guy stepping in the box and you think, All right, this this what is this like Justin Justin Bedroya? I mean he's 5'10", 185. He's really small, but I mean he, he's batting three nineteen uh slugging 474, seven home runs, 31 RBIs. So, I mean, this is a player that I think the Giants should keep their eye on. And the thing I like about him, too, he kind of has that, that that Javier Baez, just, just bulldog edge to him. Like, I'm smaller than you. I know it. And, you know, I'm still going to, you know, I still have more fight than you. Like, I don't care how big you are. I have the most fight. So, I like that personally. I don't just look at all the numbers. You know, mentality is a big thing for me. Big thing for me that I've take that i taken apart. Um, last season, he did have a surge, 17 home runs, 67 RBIs. So that's kind of what I'm going for with that sneaky power. Um, I wish he would kind of be a little more selective with his pitches, you know, get that on-base percentage up a little bit. But, I mean, if you're raking and being productive, it doesn't really matter. And then let's highlight a pitcher real quick. Uh, Andrew Suarez is another guy uh, in our farm that's, in my opinion, on a fast track. To, to be in the majors. Um, he's a guy who has four different pitches that he can control the strike zone with. Um, very high rate of throwing strikes, but he's not a, a strikeout guy. Only 124 strikeouts in 144 innings. Um, throws low 90s fastball. His fastball can touch 94. Um, but the thing that scouts really rave on him about and something that I even noticed, his slider is definitely plus plus. On an 80 scale, I would definitely give it a 70 grade. And I think he can even improve some more. He keeps hitters off balance with his changeup. More of a contact guy. But, I mean, even with all those skills and his pitch, you know, his pitch assortment, I still only see him maybe projecting to be a fourth, a fourth, maybe a third guy best in the rotation. But, I mean, two, three years from now, you know, Matt Moore, someone comes out, like, that can be a guy that steps in and, you know, takes that role. So, I think the Giants can be very, very excited with him, especially with the fact that uh, he's. Pounds the strike zone, doesn't walk guys
0: Yeah, and so I mean, I'm going to highlight a few as well Uh, A couple of players that I love Right now, down in San Jose Heath Quinn, Ryan Howard Ryan Howard leads the team in total bases Down there, he was a fifth round draft pick Shortstop from University of Missouri Last year
1: So not uh, the Phillies
0: Yes, (laughs) it's not gigantic Pull hitter My career was ruined by the shift Ryan Howard Um (laughs) this guy he's in he's just hits and a lot of the you look at these he's only got 13 extra base hits but he's got 86 total hits uh on the season he's got 14 more than reynolds uh, he's got a he's got a 325 average His on base yeah. percentage again he strikes out a lot doesn't walk a lot a little bit of a worry um but dude if you're getting on base anyways at a 354 clip you've got 30 rbis 109 total bases on the season so far. I'm not totally worried about that, um, but that's kind of interesting. It's shortstop. It's doing well offensively down in there. Um, and then for me, another one, one of the guys, I think that I, I was extremely high on him uh, in the draft uh, last year when they picked him up. And now you're seeing it in San Jose. He's got his uh, Heath Quinn. Uh, he's a right, he's playing right field out in San Jose. Um, He's got a 288 average 352 on base percentage um, that he doesn't, he does strike out a bit, um, but the, the walks are there. Um, You, if you look at some of his numbers, especially in the Cape Cod league when he's going up against his uh, up against a lot of the really, really top prospects out there. uh, He was one of the better hitters in the league. He had, um, he, he was tearing it up. He's a power hitter. He's got eight homers in just, 30 games so far down in San Jose. Um, So there's a lot of promise on here. There's a lot outside of Brian Reynolds. I don't know of another outfielder in the organization um, that's as exciting. Um, And I mean, throw in Helio Ramos to the mix, of course, it's going to kind of bring that in. But Heath Quinn for me is a big time outfield prospect. That's kind of under the radar um, that people should look out for within the organization. Um, And then I, another pitcher, I love, I I have never understood um, why Matt Gage is not higher on the prospect boards because he's, he's been the same person uh, over the last couple of years down in Richmond. He's got a three, three, six ERA, 64 innings. He's a 1.29 whip. He's got a decent strikeout to walk ratio, 47 strikeouts to 16 walks this season in his 64 innings uh he's not a big time strikeout guy but he's also not a big he's not a big he doesn't give up a whole lot of runs he's someone that I think I I have just never oh man it's just I have never understood why um he he is as looked down upon I guess I want to say looked down upon but he never makes it into some of the top prospect rankings but he right. continues to perform down there and then another top pitching prospect for the Giants is Jordan Johnson, right-hander. Um, he's down there in Richmond. He's doing well, plugging away. with 64 innings this year. He's got a 3.66 ERA. Um, has his walk numbers are a little bit higher than someone like Gages, um, but he's been productive. He's had a good season so far. Um, he's someone to keep an eye out on. And then uh, going into one more um, hitter, I. Again, I really love looking at uh, – this whole thing has been kind of – well, it's been a mix of San Jose and Richmond. Um, Slid Heathcott has been one, and I got asked about the idea of Heathcott, um, who was a minor league uh, free agent signing um, from the Giants. Can he come did from the White
1: Sox, I think? By the
0: Yankees, I believe okay. he was a Yankee. Yeah, I, forget okay. him. I want to say he was a first-round pick by the Yankees. Yeah, he was a 2009 first-round pick by the Yankees. Um, 26 years old from Texarkana, Texas. Um, He is, I mean, he's, I guess he's gotten up to the major leagues, played in AAA um, a bit last year, uh, bounced around a bit, and now the Giants signed him to the contract. And he, outside of Miguel Gomez, he's been one of the best, he has been one of the best offensive players for Richmond. Um, He's got 11 homers, uh, 10 doubles, 2 triples, 25 rbi uh he does strike out a lot he does have 21 walks though um so his average is 274 but he does have a 347 on base percentage which is good his ops is over 800 um and and then i had the i had someone ask if the idea of slade heathcott um to get called up for um for when they dfa gorky's hernandez um, when I, I say, when, <laughs> when it's yeah, pretty much an inevitability yeah, at some point. And for, yeah. And for
1: me, this I don't probably think, his phone every hour, like, dang, are they calling? <laughs> gosh, I know. Right. Um, and
0: for me, I don't, I don't think that Heathcott is the guy to call up. I said that in the article. Um, I think it's, it's just the, I think Slater was that guy, um, yeah. to start the season and he's Definitely. here, he's performing, he's in left field. And so now with the, the underperforming of guys like Denard Span, uh Justin J- Jarrett Parker's been playing center field out in Sacramento. He has played center field before in the minors. He has even played a couple of innings center field for the Giants. He hasn't had many problems there. He is a pretty good defensive outfielder. I don't think it's – I mean, it's crazy to think, but could he play center field with Denard Span? Wasn't there, but I, for uh, me, because of the fact that he has the ability to play center field, I don't think that I think it it is okay for the Giants just to call him up when he's ready and to get rid of Gorkys that way. I don't think Keith Scott, um is the answer in that situation, but he is having a solid time out in Richmond, and I think he's more than deserving of a shot at AAA as well.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: All right, so we, and we just wanted to kind of highlight some of what's been going on in the minor leagues. As I said, most of the teams are terrible, um, but uh, there are a lot of good stories to follow. Um, if you want to look at what's been going on in Sacramento, uh, Ryder Jones has been tearing it up. He's got a 928 OPS, is nearly a 300 average, is a 385 on base percentage. He's got 10 homers, 15 you know doubles and triples combined. He gets on base. He's driving in runs. This could be one of those interesting 40-man expansion moves. Um, And he is one to keep an eye out down there, since it seems like a lot of the guys that we tell you to keep an eye out down there, oh, yeah, pay attention to Austin Slater. He's here. Um, So you kind of got (laughs) to deal with that. And, of course, unfortunately, it looks like Christian Arroyo might be headed to the DL Um, For a small injury I don't know if he's headed to the DL But I do know he was held out Yeah he is on the disabled list um, Down in Sacramento Um, But he hasn't been bad Since he came back Although when you start out as hot as you do You do anything like normal After that seems like your average plummets So I'm not going to fault him for that But (laughs) because he started out So ridiculous He still is carrying an OPS over 1000 Which is good um, yeah. So we're gonna be we're gonna move on to the minor league talk. We're not gonna take a break between this and our final segment. Um, we're just gonna jump right into it. Uh, and this is a game that we talk. Oh, I say the game. It's not. I mean, it's kind of a game. I guess it's kind of a guess. At this game point, it is. Um, I mean, this is to me. This is fun. <laughs> I like doing this kind of stuff too. Um, the question we're gonna run through a few players that I wrote down. Um, do you trade? So the question is, do you trade them? And what do you think the minimum asking price would be for a player like them? Uh, So we're just going to go through the list. Taylor will give his take. I'll give my take. Um, Of course, I won't start off with the one that everyone talks about. We're going to go a different route. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to jump off with somebody like Matt Moore. Do you trade him? And what do you think their minimum asking price would be?
1: So I was looking into the market for Matt Moore right now, and of course I'm thinking the same thing that the Giants were probably thinking last year. You know, a contender that needs you know another arm, and especially a lefty. Now you look at his stats; they're way down from this year. His velocity's down this year. His spin rate on his curveball and his cutters down this year. So you kind of wonder what what can attribute to that. Um, he's had Tommy John issues in the past. The WHIP is not there. So I mean. I'm looking at it is I don't really see a lot of contenders that would be willing to break the prospect bank for that type of arm. Maybe like um, a Houston Ashos or someone who wants a little bit of back rotation depth. And then maybe mm-hmm. you get a couple of B-level prospects back for him. But I I just don't see, especially a contender giving up for sure a, a top 100. Like I think a top 100 oh, prospects yeah. out of the question is, especially if, you know, if, it's, if you're trying to sell them to a contender, um, Maybe if you kind of have a young team that's, you know, bringing their young guys up next year and, and they want to, you know, a guy like a Matt Moore to kind of come in and be that veteran presence, maybe he doesn't have to be the ace. Maybe he can be the number two. Maybe a team has, you know, um, an abundance of outfielders or infielders and one of them's in the top 100. Then, yeah, a team like that could sacrifice and you'd still get a, another B-level prospect or two in return. But as far as um, looking to trade into a contender, don't expect anything big back. Whoa. What do you think on
0: that? I am kind of in agreement with you. I think his numbers too far, took a hit too much this year. Um, and I think Matt Moore is a guy that you hang on to. I, I almost wouldn't trade him, honestly. I think I would hold on to him just a little bit, um, see if he comes around, becomes a really solid piece, because they do have him under control for a while, um, yeah. which is big. Uh, and I think that that's the hard part of it, is it's not like you're trying to trade – Away an expiring player. He is not the case of where you're trying to trade away an, ex- not an expiring player, but an expiring yeah. contract. Um, and for me, I just don't know if now is to come on them. Yes, you're frustrated that he had a six year coming in today's game. Yeah, Almost and a one-point whip.
1: Like, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's unacceptable. You know, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not cutting it on any staff.
0: And I think, and, and of course he knows as well. And I think it's one yeah. of those things. Uh, me, I just don't know. How to trade him. I'm, I'm aligned with you on minimum asking price. Is um, that you're not going to get with the way he's pitching, you're not going to get a top level prospect back, um, or even the kind of a project MLB ready player, someone that's kind of toolsy but hasn't put it all together, aka a Matt Duffy, um, yeah. or at least hadn't con- fully convinced everyone that he was. Um, what he was in 2015, and of course he hasn't seen the field pretty much since we traded away traded him away, which has been hard to really judge how well that trade went. But I don't yeah. think I, I don't. There's no way that you get back the haul that it took to get him here, um, which is why I think you hold on to him because you try not to lose as much as you can on that. If you're going to trade him away, hopefully you would have the value that he that you gave up to get him. And I see there's more value in the, in the fact that he's got a longer life contract um, contract than that. Um, But yeah, yeah, for me. So for me, that's met more. Um, I'm going to jump into another one. That's been kind of interesting is Joe panic. Would you trade Joe panic? And what do you think the minimum asking price on someone like Joe panic would be?
1: Okay. Here's the really interesting one, because in my opinion, Joe Panic has the highest trade value out of all of them. This is still a guy, you know, a guy that's very young under plenty of club control still has to go through his arbitration year. So he's very friendly to any club through a deal that's going to raise his value. You know, when it comes to the return in prospects, you look back to last season, the Yankees thought so high of him that they said, give us, give, give us Joe Panic, Tyler Beattie, and let's agree on, you know, another prospect or two. And you can have Andrew Miller, the giants balked at that. But you look at Panic, he's a gold glover now. Um, Mm -hmm. He's shown throughout the past that, you know, he's not going to be a power guy, but he's going to be a guy that, if healthy, if everything's going right with him, he can bat around 300, hit 8 to 12 home runs, and drive in around 65 RBIs and be a perennial, you know, a perennial gold glove contender every season for your team. I can definitely see Joe Panic bringing back a top 100 prospect, but it's definitely not going to be like somebody's top 20 or maybe not even a top 50, I'd say somewhere around, um, maybe around the 80 to 100 prospect rank with maybe another B-level prospect in return for that, just based off of his value. And he hasn't, there's still that kind of question, you know, kind of like Mm -hmm. the question we had with Belt over the last few years, is it going to get a little better? Is it not? He's kind of still in that, you know, like questiony phase where you you have enough faith to invest in him, you know, as the Yankees tried to last season. Yeah.
0: And I think it, like, I kind of agree with you on that, although I do think Johnny Cueto might have just a tad bit more trade value just because of what he could potentially bring um, when he's full full on going for it. Um,
1: Absolutely. For me,
0: panic, um, it easily has one of the highest trade values. Uh, I have a hard time seeing them trade him if he, especially if they said no for Andrew Miller. Um, yeah. Although I do think some of it had to do with the prospects attached to it.
1: Yeah, um, and, and that's the thing uh, too because they're they're higher on ty- Tyler Tyler than any scout, any any other club, any rival GM that yeah. you talk to about Tyler Beattie. The Giants the Giants talk about this guy like he's the next coming at Tim Linscombe, like mm-hmm. and he's and I'll be honest like talent wise they don't like he's he's not matching up like Tyler Beattie will will be a three if he's lucky, probably a four. You look at his numbers in AAA this year. He's not adjusting well. Um, he's not a strikeout guy either. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you got to trust the Giants in the end. You know, they know what they're doing, supposedly, but I definitely think they fall victim to kind of h- holding their prospects in a little bit a higher regard than they maybe should. And it, it, and it can hurt you. Right. They need, and a, I think... they need a reliever. Andrew Miller had two-plus years of, of control left. You had mm-hmm. Krishna Royal ready almost, you know. So, I mean, Yeah. Eh. But I, yeah, I agree. Keeping panic was think, probably the right thing
0: though. Yeah, and I think for me looking at it now and where we're at, my question is can Christian Arroyo, would would Christian Arroyo be any different than Joe Panic? Uh see, I mean that's, really would,
1: see, at, that's at second the thing.
0: base. And and because he and he had I believe he played second base um for a good portion uh in I believe in San Jose, if I'm not correct. He either played second base in San Jose or he played it in um, Augusta. I don't remember, um, but he ha- he spent a lot of time at second base and was yeah. very, very good there. And I think – and we saw him when he played at second base when he was up here. He looked very, very, very good and made a couple of really good plays. And so yeah. for me, I sit there and I say, man, when, when Christian Arroyo is performing at what we expect him to at his ceiling – who would you rather have at second base? Would you rather have Joe Panic or would you rather have Christian Arroyo? And in my right now, my question is, if if, if Joe Panic is no different than who he is right now, is no better than who he is. Kind of what we're seeing was a 280 guy, you know, who is going to provide you Gold Glove defense, but Christian Arroyo can provide you some something pretty darn close to that, and maybe a little bit better of a bat, more of a run producing yeah. bat. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'd take Christian Arroyo in that. So that makes Joe Panic, even though he's quite valuable, a little bit expendable. And I think looking at that, where where for me, Christian Arroyo doesn't project as your prototype third baseman. Um, no, definitely. I would
1: sit there and I'd I say, I feel yeah. more comfortable with him at second. And that's why I'm kind of in total agreement with you, because I think about it this way. Having a Joe Panic on your team is an amazing asset. If you have a lot better assets around him, to where right. he can compliment everyone else. If you have yeah. a high-contact guy like Panic that isn't hitting for power, that isn't necessarily driving a lot of runs in, you want him to get on base so he can be a compliment. to you know, typical sluggers that, you know, can, you yep. know, overplay his weaknesses. So that's why I'm saying if you trade a guy like position you know, player-wise, you're, like I said, him or Cueto, you're going to get the best piece back. If yep. you have a guy in the minors that can perform with the bat, you know, arguably better maybe give a tick less on defense. I mean, Arroyo's defense is pretty stout anyway. Like, I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all. His defense is legit. The kid flashes yes. the glove. He's got a cannon mm-hmm. for an arm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if you can get a piece back for Panic that you can plug in to your club a year from now, you know, or, or whenever, why not do it? Because, like I said, Panic's value is going to be the highest now. In my yep. personal opinion, what Panic is right now is the player he's always going to be. And that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. But like I said, if you have somebody just like him, if not arguably, you know, a little better to plug in, why not get something back for him? If you're, ba- right. if it'll basically be like losing nothing, you know.
0: Yeah, and I think, and I agree with you too on the asking price back. What are you going to get? I think you're right. Uh, in the, you're maybe going to get an A to a hundred. I think you could dip down to a seventy to a hundred. Yeah.
1: A team that, that loves, loves him like, will definitely will definitely give up, you know, a 60 to 100. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. A team that and, loves him will give up a 60 for him.
0: I think, and I think if you're looking for a comparison type of a prospect you're getting back, you will – for me, I think you'll get back someone around the level of Christian Arroyo or a little bit better. That's probably what you'd get back um, as your main piece and maybe just a straight swap in that case. And we'll, we'll see. And like I said uh, – or I don't know if I said this, a lot of this is speculation. This is us just kind of playing a game. This is based on, like, almost no rumors at all because we haven't heard any trade rumors. Yeah, sure. uh, So yeah, like, the Giants just do not like guessing.
1: to talk about their dealings. They, don't, they right. don't let anything leak. Oh, man, I
0: swear. I feel like every single team I cover is like that because I do a lot of soccer stuff. San Jose Earthquakes don't leak crap, and then they get mad at you if you find out something, like, not through their – their press releases <laughs> and it can be a little frustrating. Sporting Kansas City quite under wraps but you can kind of figure it out with them um, but still man that that's rough and then you have the Giants again keep their cards close to their chest they value things differently they're less predictable My yeah. word, I do not catch a break it is frustrating you know I can't yeah. imagine like sitting there being like covering the 49ers oh it's really <laughs> easy because some, someone's going to text me and give me some random leak oh hey they really really like this guy like, okay, great, thank you. Like, <laughs> like it makes your job so much easier.
1: But yeah, and they're like this guy two five minutes ago. Like <laughs> Yeah. Right.
0: So I sit there and so a lot of this is speculation. But and this is us just kind of having fun and playing GM. But I think I would trade Joe Panic if I could get the right prospect back.
1: Yeah. Um I'm I not I'm not let's put it this way, I'm not dumping him for like a B level prospect package. Like, no. If I'm moving if I'm moving Joe Panic, let me be clear. I need to get at least one top one hundred prospect and, you know, give me give me a B-level prospect or a C-level prospect. But I definitely need something in return because he can go into any team and be of service and be a contributor, especially yep. if he goes onto a team which he fits the best for. Like, let's say he goes to, like, a um, a team high average, like, um, I don't know, the Red Sox or someone. Obviously, they don't need him. But I'm just mm-hmm. saying for example's sake, he would fit in that type of atmosphere where you have a bunch of sluggers and you're just the guy who keeps the line moving. So, yep, that work for him. Oh.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm with you on that one. All right, so Joe Panic, Matt Moore. And I think, okay, I will say this. I When, when we did, the, I did a like a trade block kind of a thing um, article a few weeks back, I think. Yeah, it was a couple of weeks back. And I just kind of laid out what I think the Giants trade block would be. And when it came to it, I, there were two players that I said, we can talk trades about them but you are going to have to either overpay or you're going to pay a hefty price for them. One of them was Joe Panic, and the other one was Brandon Belt. So, Brandon Belt, do you trade him, and what do you think his minimum asking price
1: is? Here's – okay, and here's the most – here's the most interesting one for me, because Brandon Belt, obviously the most power on the team, probably driving the most runs consistently, stellar defense at first, but, I mean, when you compare him – and here's – here's where Brandon Belt suffers to everyone else. He's compared to guys like Miguel Cabrera, like Anthony Rizzo, like first basemans who are dropping 40-plus bombs a year, and he's not that. He's a top-10 third baseman, but he's not that. Mm -hmm. Now, going on to – I also looked at some of the contenders that could possibly need a first baseman, and the only one I could think about would be the New York Yankees. I look at the Yankees, that short porch in right field, Greg Bird, Greg Bird's, you know, injured, injured, whatnot, and they need a first baseman. So, but but you look at that, Greg Bird is a great prospect too. He's just coming up through through the ranks. The Yankees would love for him to be the first baseman in the future. So if mm-hmm. you take on a Brandon Belt, that's going to block his progress for the next four years. So that's right. why I kind of see a problem with that right now. So I mean, it just goes to the point. Like I said, if a contender doesn't need a first baseman are, like, you're not going to get a, a top 100 prospect. Like, I wouldn't, like, why would a team give, you know, here, here take my top 50, even though, you know, I don't have a place for him, you know? So it's like, I'm just trying to think of a team that he can go to and help out. And like I'm saying, the Giants might need to get creative and look at teams that have, you know, like maybe like a team like the Braves, some, some team that you sense is up and coming with their youth movement that could use, you know, a veteran champion presence in that clubhouse. Kind of what mm-hmm. we were talking about if you're going to move a Matt more to a team. You know, the Giants should be looking right now for those teams that, you know, are up and coming or saying, hey, you know, these guys they need a first baseman and they're going to have, you know, five guys coming up next year. You know, maybe they'd be interested. And then you target a team who has a flux of prospects that that um, they're not going to need all of them. A team might have – like four of their top prospects in the top 10, and three of those guys might be top 100 guys. There's only, mm-hmm. three, there's only three outfield spots, like the, the Astros, for instance. They have some of the deepest outfield prospects in the game. But you look mm-hmm. at their outfield right now, and it's stacked. So you say, okay, none, not all these guys are going to make it onto their team, so some of them are going to be moved to bring more, more assets back to fill holes that they need, you know? So I feel like the Giants should definitely target teams that have a flux of outfield, of outfield talent outfield and see what you can get for Brandon Belt but i would have to be wild i i would i would kind of have to be wild for Brandon Belt still
0: mm-hmm. i mean yeah me and i think and for me i think if the giants want to really really maximize their return look there's there's two right at the moment off the top of my head there are two really 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 viable landing spots for Johnny Cueto and that's the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees
1: I'm glad you brought up that, yeah.
0: Both of Astros. them have, both of them have the, have big prospects. Both of them kind of have a hole at first base, because let's be frank, like Yuli Guriel is pretty good, but yeah, I'm sure the Astros would love to plug in. Might I wouldn't say love to plug in Brandon Belt, but you may be able to maximize the return from Brandon Belt by pairing him with a Johnny Cueto, and then you could really really dive into some of those outfield prospects that they have, like. Oh gosh, I can't think of him off the top of my head, but I know Derek. Fisher's Derek Fisher one of them. is
1: one prospect. Yeah. Number 72 ranked guy uh, on MLB.com. This guy is a beast. There's a lot of questions yeah. about, about his, you know, strikeouts or saying this guy might be, you know, the next Adam Dunn, just hit a lot of strikeout, you know, hit a lot of homers and strikeout, but he hit 335 uh, on base percentage of 401 slug 608, 16 home runs, 45 RBIs and, um, his power is really undersold. Like, I mean, yeah. his grade, to be honest, I give him a 65 grade on yeah. on power. I mean, some some of his power, like, he's raw. And then you look at what he's done, he even got called up this season. First game, in the yeah. first game, he played and hit a home run, you know? So, I mean, you look at that, and you look at how good he is. They still have another outfielder ahead of him on their Kyle prospect Tucker. rankings. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. You target a team like that, you give them, you know, you dangle Johnny Cueto, and say, look, we don't need your best outfielder, but we'll take your second best outfielder that has some questions. He's a top yep. 70. You know, he falls in that 70 to 100 range for, you yep. know, the chip that you would need. You get that back. You ask for maybe um, two, two, more, two more B pieces. There's one guy that I actually like. His name's um, Hondel Gustave. He's a right-handed mm-hmm. pitcher in their system, and he kind of has the same story that Ray Black has had. Really, mm-hmm. really, really dominant fastball. I mean, scouts give him an 80-grade on his fastball. It's, it's, it's out of this world. It's clocked is the highest, is the fastest uh, consistent fastball in the minors. But walks and control, he needs to, you know, he needs to level that out. So I think, you know, that could be a piece that they could pair up with the Derek Fisher send to the Giants for, for a Johnny Cueto. You know, I mean, his resume speaks for itself. You're not getting Johnny Cueto for the regular season. You're trading for him for the postseason. You want right. a guy that's been there, done that, a bulldog to go in yeah, there and the, lead you. Ask the Royals about that.
0: He yeah, was not yeah, like yeah. I. I live in Royals territory. My in-laws are diehard Royals fans. They tell me Johnny Cueto sucked with us until it mattered. Until yeah. it, was <laughs> when it mattered, and he was lights out.
1: And he that's wasn't. what I'm saying. That that's guy exactly. shows up, and I and I mean y- you look at it. Joe Madden is still talking about how happy he was that he didn't have to face Johnny Cueto in Game Five. Yep. It's it's yeah. June. It's June. Yeah. You already won. You're still mentioning that. Like yep. that. That's that's a testament to how great he is and how much you know. Like okay, you get him in those winner take all big game situations. I mean, you put him up there top five with any guys I'd want on the mound. You know, Bumgarner, Lester, uh, Kluber. You know, he's up there with those guys in big games.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, so for me, I sit there and we sit there, I sit there and I actually think that Brandon Belt and Johnny Cueto, let's say you want to like talk about a crazy package deal and to get back some good MLB ready prospects. You could go to either of those teams, either of yeah. those teams and package those two and get a pretty good haul back. You could get a Yankees esque call back and you could be if you can convince people to pay up high on both of them. You could get a Yankees haul from two separate teams like the Yankees did with with Chapman and with um, the others. Now, I don't think that Cueto is going to rate as... Cueto and Belt are going to rate as high of a return as Chapman and And, Miller. And Cueto's Um, a
1: rental too. Cueto's a rental too because, I mean, it's pretty obvious, you know, in case anyone forgot, he does have his opt-out, and I'm 99% 99% sure he's going to express that opt out regardless of the situation he's in at the end of yes. the year. So yeah, exactly. I'm saying, and, and here's the thing too, I would, I would advise, like people might be listening to me right now and going, wait, what? Only a top 80 to a hundred prospect for Quido. Like that's it. You're kidding me. No, 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 no. Because you look at the contenders that actually need starters too. you look at the market mm-hmm. right now, what does it flex with younger Eight younger aces that are cheaper with more control, with more club control. A guy like Garrett Cole might be on the market, th- this uh, this trade deadline. He still has Chris a couple Archer. more years of ar- – yeah, Chris Archer. Um, you look at uh, Jose Quintana, still has two years of control left. He hasn't yep. pitched that well this year, but maybe it, all it takes is a change of scenery for him. Mm-hmm. Those guys are the, are the players that a team like the Astros, the Yankees, are going to be willing to deal a top-20 prospect for because there's less risk. Yes, I'm losing one of my best prospects, but I'm getting back an ace that I'm going to have control over for the next few years. And all mm-hmm. those guys I mentioned besides Quito are making $12 million or less. Garrett Cole only making 800000 this year. And you still have plenty of, you still have, I think, three years of control over him. That's, That's an ace. Crazy. You add that type of presence, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're loving life. You're loving life. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I guess we can kind of consider that we've already talked Johnny Cueto. So we've talked Johnny Cueto and Brandon Belt kind of in one, because that conversation just kind of melted to the two. Um, and like I said, I've both Johnny Cueto, I would trade and I just sit there and I go around and I figure out who, who's going to offer me the best and in our eyes, the most valuable package back. And that's who I go with. That's yeah. pretty much it. And and for me that that's a no brainer for the Giants and if the Giants don't do that it's pretty darn stupid in my opinion unless he's opting in and they go back and win like three straight World Series as he like busts out and says hey guys, 32, 33, 34 is the new 27. Like, but I don't think that's happening. So I'd be willing to bet done, against that too. I'd be willing to bet against that too. So <laughs> we're gonna move into that. Another couple interesting trade pieces here. Um, one is Eduardo Nunez. Would you trade him, and what do you think your minimum asking price would be?
1: Okay, now I'm gonna I might shock the world in on this one because you know you know we talk a lot amongst the guys in the staff and everything, and mm-hmm. one of the one of the things I've talked about is the um, the value that Nunez can bring back, and I'm actually gonna retract from my original statement and shock you a little bit. I don't think the Giants should okay. trade Eduardo Nunez.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: think I think And and here's what I'm saying. You have a guy like uh, Arroyo. I think you do everything you can to re-sign. I think at Waterloo, is a free agent after this year, correct? The Giants signed him in arbitration. I think, yeah. Uh, The Giants should do everything they can to sign him back on a one-year deal and use that as a stopgap. And then in 2018, you go all in after Nolan Arenado. And you you get your back. You get your bat. This kid, I mean, come on, you got to be kidding me. Every Giants oh, fan yeah. knows about Nolan Arenado, and the cool mm-hmm. thing about it too is he already has connections to the team. His little his brother is playing in our minor league affiliate system. His
0: baby brothers in San Jose. Yeah,
1: exactly. His family already has an affinity for San Francisco. Their heart is split. Why not just put? Why not just bring the hearts together? Why split mm-hmm. them up? Why, yeah. why make the family choose between division rivals? And that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, too. <laughs> when he becomes a free agent, the Giants got something that the Rockies don't. Deep pockets. They yes. can compete with anyone financially. And the Giants mm-hmm. have proven in the past, although they don't overspend for quote-unquote players, they've proven that they're not afraid to overspend for the players that they want. Just yep. because they don't sign players doesn't mean that they offer the most. You look at Zach right. Granke. An hour before he signed with the Diamondbacks, he was about to sign with the Giants. They offered him yep. more money than the Dodgers. You look at mm-hmm. John Lester. John Lester yep. was offered more money and more security mm-hmm. with the Giants. We didn't get a rose, as Bobby Evans says. He went to the yep. Cubs. You know? So it's not like the Giants aren't throwing money out. You know, like, oh, no. the Giants are cheap. They don't want to spend on, on blah, blah, blah free agents. No, no, they're trying. You just mm-hmm. need a, a player to you know, pick you. So that's what I'm saying. Exactly. I really do believe the Giants should go all in and get Nolan Arenado. We weaken the Colorado Rockies. You know, they're having a they're having a fun, cute year. It's let's put an end to it, you know? I'm I'm yeah. dead serious.
0: Oh, no, I would i I'm I would love it. I think it's a great idea. And that's that was one thing that I think uh, Henry Schulman someone asked him about it. You know, are the Giants gonna trade him because he's playing really well right now? And he said, "This is your most productive
1: hitter outside of Posey. You don't right. Bring him back for cheap. Bring Mm -hmm. him back for cheap. Let him be a stopgap at third, and then you go all in for Arenado. You go all in for you you throw you you throw a cubby at him like, dude. We'll give you the right. (laughs) We'll we'll give you the trolley in right field. What do you want, (laughs) dude? You want you want the coke slide in center, bro? What do you want? Like, here's a check. I'm passing you a blank check. Take it, dude." You
0: know, that <laughs> yeah. is a once so, in
1: a generation type of player. And Bochy does it, it too.
0: And I think, so for me, Eduardo Nunez, Shulman said this. He said he would sign him to a two-year, co- he would offer him a two-year contract at a pretty high average annual va- value for, I mean, for what's, for what's reasonable for Nunez, right? What he yeah. would get in the market. He's been he would aver- 5 this year. Yeah, you would give him the higher end of what he would probably get, which is probably somewhere between three and six a year. Say you give him a two-year, fifteen million dollar contract. Sounds crazy, but not terrible. Say, let's say you give him two years, fifteen. You give him two years, fifteen million, and you front load it, so he he has a bit of a de-escalator. But the signing bonus helps kick in some. I don't know. I'm just throwing in crap. No, that's that's
1: good plan. Yeah.
0: And if he yeah. says no, then you trade him. Yeah. And, and that's and that was what that was what Schulman said, and I'm kind of aligned with that. As someone I like that, that Eduardo, idea, Actually. I, and I don't think that here's my thing. Eduardo Nunez hasn't lost value since the Giants traded him. I don't no. think he has. And no. so I mean I the power is
1: not there, but I mean then again his power last year was kind of an outlier anyway, so you know.
0: Right, and it was a lot of li- Minnesota has a weird, weird kind of a short portion left, and if yeah. you can hit line drives out there, they're going to go over the fence. And he is a line. He hit line drive <laughs> yeah, stuff is. out there. That's how half of Brian Dozier's home runs came last year. Yeah. Little stuff over the top, and so just over the fence. So I, he can the, the power plays to playing in a few small ballparks in the Central Division. And the home, so that's where I think a lot of those home runs came from um, was just the, the environment that he was put in, that the central is a little bit more conducive to hitting, especially as a line drive right-handed hitter playing in Minnesota for a long time. Um, that'll help. And so I yeah. think you could get back a 80 to 100 pitcher because that's what they gave up for him. And I think that's what you could get back for him is you could get an 80 to 100 prospect at best for some teams, especially a team that's looking now the giant, the Giants, the thing is that they gave up something to bring him in to make him the third baseman, and he's not the third baseman. And I think that's the hard part. But another contender can sit there and say, man, he would be a fantastic super utility piece because he can play third. The Red Sox four, need a third baseman. Third. Yeah, the Red Sox need a third I can baseman. See the Red
1: Sox giving up a, I could definitely see the Red Sox giving up someone for him. The only mm-hmm. reason why that, that I'm going to agree, I agree with everything except for the 80 to 100 part. As far as what you can get back for him on the prospects, because I think the reason why the Giants get, had to give up, you know, Mejia for him, who was, you know, I think he was like the 91st rated prospect at the time yeah. when he got dealt. Um, the reason why you could, you know, ask for so much of that is because, like I said, he kind of had an outlier career year. The home, he, you know, the homers yeah. were up. He had 12 home runs at the time. I think he had like 67 RBIs. Was batting like 320. Was an All Star. So it's like for that type of player with a year more control, I can see it. But he's kind of like drop dropped back down to, you know, what everyone expects him to be. And that's why the Twins traded him, too, because mm-hmm. they, they noticed, look, this is the highest his value is ever going to be. We can get back, you know, a guy that we can plug into our rotation. Honestly, Mejia is probably going to be a four or five guy, you know, in any major league rotation. He's doing okay, mm-hmm. though, this season. But I can definitely – I think I think he'd honestly probably only bring back maybe two uh, a B level prospect or, or two. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. you'd get a reliever that, that you can plug in next year. So when that can be a okay. service. But I, I definitely don't see like a position player, you know.
0: Okay. That's an interesting one. Alright, so I think are we done? No, we are not. Last one. Oh man, this this one will hurt some people.
1: The best for last. The best for last. The best the best for last. last. Oh everyone's gonna love my answer.
0: <laughs> Hunter pence. do you trade hunter pence yes or no
1: this is where everyone blocks me on twitter all right you ready (laughs) guys turn your microphones up all right so here's what i do with pence pence has still one more year remaining on his contract next year if i can i look for a team that's kind of like i say struggling but that still has you know maybe room to contend you look at a team right now like the Baltimore Orioles, kind of facing the same, the same dilemmas that the Giants have. They have their core established that's been raking for years, but for some reason this year it's a down year. And I don't think, like I said, obviously these guys just didn't lose their talent overnight. I just think it's a little bit of a, a mentality thing. You put Hunter Pence into a new situation, you give him a fresh outlook, he becomes the Hunter Pence that came over in 2012. He's going to spark any dugout, any clubhouse awaken any offense just by his energy and enthusiasm alone. I can see him going into a team like, um, like the Orioles and being that spark plug that really ignites their offense, gets them going, gets the core going. He doesn't even have to play every day at this point. The giants would probably have to pay, pay down half of his contract for his final year. But I mean, like I said, you're paying for like a clubhouse presence. I mean, you look at what he did in 2012 for the giants, the speech, You know, getting the guys wound up down 0-2 in Cincinnati. You know, I want to play another day. I want to see you guys tomorrow. You know, this, 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 and that. Like, I could definitely see him going to a team like the Baltimore Orioles and being that spark plug that gets him into that wild card spot and into the playoffs and hopefully for, you know, the deep run that everyone has expected him to do for the last couple seasons. Yeah, that's an interesting
0: one. I think think the team that you chose for Hunter Pence – Kind of interesting it was it was a team that's kind of close he's to not, competing, but not there. For me, I see him. Saying, he's just not
1: I, a starter in, to me anymore. And I just I just see there, the Giants have so many outfield prospects now. You have Shaw. You have you know you have all these guys in, in the system right now, and it's just Pence isn't producing even when he's healthy, really. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if we can get something back right now for him. Then, then why not? I mean, yeah. on the other hand, the only reason why I would I would be advocating for him to stay is just for emotion. But mm-hmm. I don't want to mix my business and my emotion. I want to win. I mm-hmm. don't want to lose and just be like, oh, well, you know, it sucks. We lost again this season. But, hey, we, we got to wish Hunter Pence a, a, a great farewell. And you know what Hunter Pence is going to do? He's not going to retire. He's going to go play for another team still. Right. So it's like, all right, goodbye. Why not get something back for him? and give somebody else a chance, you know?
0: I get that. I think if there's any team that I would trade him to, I, it sounds crazy, but I'd trade him to the Milwaukee Brewers. That's another I team it, I was thinking of, too. I think it's another a solid team. team. It's a team that they've got a, a solid amount of prospects built up yeah. every year. Way deeper
1: the Orioles, too. And Way deeper than the Orioles.
0: Um, it's a, yeah, it is a way deeper farm system than the Orioles. You're not, I don't know if you're going to get a top 100 pick for him. No, I don't know if you're not going to get a top 100 prospect, no. you're going to get a couple of decent B-level prospects and maybe even a solid, you know, fringe MLB ready player. Um, yeah. and I think uh, for me, I, I would hate, I, I would hate to trade a hundred pence and have him be amazing for like another three or four years, but he's also 34 and I don't see that happening.
1: And you look at, you just look at everything. Yeah. His health isn't there. He doesn't have his legs anymore. His age. You look at his defense. His defense is terrible. He has, he has a minus, he has has a DRS of minus 10, Mm -hmm. minus 10 defensive runs saved. We're not even in July yet. Like, are you kidding me? That's Mm -hmm. he's hurting the team now more than he's helping. And, you know, I don't like saying that because I love Hunter Pence. I love Hunter right. Pence. I love what he does for the energy, the clubhouse, and everything. But I'm looking at it from a business standpoint. I want to win, you know. So it's, it's like if I can move you, possibly get a piece back that can help me and, yep. you know, frees up an opportunity for maybe a, a Chris Shaw to come up at the end of the year, you mm-hmm. know, P- play some play some right field, you know. Maybe, maybe that could happen. He played right field for, uh, for Boston College and for mm-hmm. space. So why not?
0: Yeah, and I think, and again, this is a lot of speculation, folks. Don't take it as we hate Hunter Pence. I love Hunter Pence. I love everything they've yeah. done for
1: this ball club. No, Pence is the man. And I know Taylor. Pence is the man. Yeah,
0: Taylor's the same way. But I think there's also a point in in running a team, running a business, running this organization, where you have to sit there and you say, okay, it's not good this year. How do I make myself competitive sooner? Because that's the whole goal. The ultimate goal of this is not, oh, I'm glad you came to have a ballpark and had a great time, even though we sucked. You know people enjoy yeah. winning. That's 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 the bottom line. People enjoy yeah. winning. So,
1: the Giants had a 5 over 500 game sellout streak for a reason because they were winning, you know? It's yeah. nothing personal against Hunter Pence, it's nothing yeah. personal against any of these players. We love our guys, but we also love winning and we want to keep winning and we should keep winning because exactly. we have the resources to do it.
0: Yep. And I'm with you on that. But Again, this is just our trade talk for now, but, oh, man, that was a long-winded show, actually. We've we've come to the end, as, again, we ended with the bang. We ended with talking about Hunter Pence. Crazy. But, you know, it's kind of the point we're at with this season. And what we talked about at the beginning of the show, I mean, this is kind of where we're at. This is not – I mentioned it in an article, too. They're the worst team after seven. Uh, when I wrote the article, the Giants were through seventy-one games, so it was before last night's game. The worst team to ever make the postseason after seven, the worst, the worst record after seventy-one games to ever make the postseason, is a tie between the two thousand thirteen Dodgers and the Kansas City Royals of nineteen eighty-one. And Both that's in this were, point
1: so far in the season, like record-wise.
0: Yeah, they were thirty and okay. forty-one, and the wow. Giants are now twenty-six. Or twenty are now twenty seven and forty six. So you're saying there's a chance. There is definitely a chance. There is not a chance. What? (laughs) I don't believe that there is a chance. It would be, and like I said, I mean, this shows if the Giants were to make the postseason after this start, it would be the most incredible comeback in Major League history, which would be nuts. I don't see that happening. The likelihood of that happening is like one in a million. So this is kind but of the
1: likelihood of me getting drafted and leading us to world series next year. It's not happening guys.
0: Sorry. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's not happening. <laughs> me. My goodness. Yeah, man. <laughs> I can't even imagine. It's, it's not happening. The Giants are not making the postseason this year, unfortunately. But then yeah. you have to sit there and, and that, you have yeah. to ask these questions of how do I make myself competitive sooner? And you have to look at the aging pieces. The pieces aren't contributing anymore. You have to sit there and say, where are my losses? You have to cut them and see what you can get back for them. And that's, exactly. what, that's what has to happen. And th- so these are that Trust me, we are not the only people outside of, in, outside of the Giants front office and even inside of the Giants front office that are having these conversations right now. This is a conversation that the Giants probably should have been having about two weeks ago about starting to look at who are we adding to our trade block. And look, just because we're starting to talk about it now doesn't mean we're going to get a trade tomorrow of Johnny Cueto to the Yankees. It's not happening because the way that the trade market develops, the trade market will not start to develop until I get, i Doubt the trade market really develops until it, before July tenth. Two to three weeks.
1: Honestly. Two to three. Yeah, two to three weeks before the deadline is when stuff, you know, you'll start hearing the rumors and rumblings around week three, week out. You know, three weeks out from the deadline, and then around you know two and a half weeks to two weeks, someone's going to make a move, and it's just going to be like, you know, uh, free agency all over again. Once that first exactly. move happens, just a flurry of them happens and follows right after that. Someone needs exactly. to establish the. Someone needs to establish the trade market just like somebody needs to establish what the market is on the free agency by that first signing. That's why you see, you know, all this time going by, you know, Oh, well, what's a Johnny Cueto worth? Or what's a Jose Quintana worth? Well, when this Mm -hmm. first player gets traded, we're going to see what the market sets itself as. And then you go from there.
0: Exactly. All right, folks, it has been long winded. We've talked a long time tonight, but it's all been good stuff. Again, thank you everybody for listening. Sound of Foghorn. Um, we will have this episode. We'll put it up on our website. We'll put it up on our Twitter at Round the Foghorn. Uh, you can follow me, my personal account at Sperry Daniel Nine I talk a decent amount of baseball, but most of my baseball talk is done on the Around the Foghorn account. Um, be aware, if you are not a soccer person, there is a whole lot of soccer on my personal account because I do <laughs> a lot of coverage on that as well, um, and that is like my bread and butter, really. Um, I do love baseball. Uh, Taylor, where can people find you on Twitter?
1: Um, It's going to be just my first and last name, Taylor Corbin, uh, with an underscore after Corbin, and you'll be able to find me there. Um, Unlike unlike Daniel, I'm talking baseball 24-7, so if you need (laughs) a baseball safe space, I will be that for you, I promise. And aside from that, though, I can't lie, I'm a huge surfer. Um, A little bit of background about me, I have covered – um, surf events for the WSL uh, World Surf League, uh, World Championship Tour event. So sometimes I'll sprinkle in uh, what's going on with the guys on tour because I love frothing out. So just try to share the stoke with you guys. So <laughs> if that if the ocean and beautiful beaches annoy you, then I don't know how to help you. You can block me, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Again, thanks for coming on tonight, Taylor. Um, thanks Absolutely. again thanks for to all us. of our listeners. Um, and I said, we'll have this up soon. Um, but For now, go Giants.
1: Absolutely.